Father, God, you have spoken, Lord, directly to our hearts. There are people right now that are stirred by your Holy Spirit who has just moved in this place, and God, I praise your name for that. God, I pray that it would not end there. I pray that that would not be the end of our rejoicing. I pray that our rejoicing would continue as we read your word, as it corrects us, as it instructs us. As we are loved to you through your word, I pray that we just recognize that how much you love us. God, you love us enough to correct us. You love us enough to draw, you, draw us to you, and I praise your name for that. Lord, so many times we feel like correction, is, is, it's because it's hard, it, it feels bad. But Lord, help us to see that correction is not a bad thing. The correction is a good thing, and you only do that because you love us. And Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray, Lord, that, the, that your word would fall easy on our hearts, and God, we would recognize that because of your chastisement, God, you love us. God, help us to see that. But help us not only to see it in your word, but help us to see it in every single day of our life, Lord. As we go throughout this week, I pray that the, the reminders that are, that are brought to us through your word, I pray that they continue to work on our heart, that it does not just end on Sunday, that, Lord, you continue to speak to us, and we continue to listen, and we continue to respond. God, listening to you and having a, a communication line with you, it doesn't end on Sunday. It only, it only begins, it renews, it refreshes on Sunday. So, Lord, I pray right now that we be a people that are attentive to your word. God, that we, we listen closely to what you have to say in your voice alone. And, God, help us to tune into your voice. Uh, because throughout this week, God, there are going to be a thousand different things that distract us from your voice. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would just use this time to listen closely to you, to hear your voice, God, so that the rest of the week we'll be able to continue to do the same. Lord, this is about you. This is about your word. God, be glorified now as we look at what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been in the book of Nehemiah, and everybody's sick of Nehemiah, and that's okay. We'll continue in the book of Nehemiah uh, for today. Um, I think next week we're probably going to do something a little different. We'll take a break, but we're not neglecting Nehemiah. We're not going to stop there. We're going to continue on in Nehemiah. We're just going to take a break from Nehemiah since it is coming close to Christmas. Uh, God has placed something on my heart that I need to share with you. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do something different next week. So any of you that are teaching the kids next week, you'll have to get with me and find out what we'll be talking about. But um, we've been in the book of Nehemiah and we rebuilt walls and we studied God's word and the people have repented. And, and, and that's where we are right now. And, and a lot of people didn't even, I was talking to some people before, uh, or last Sunday before the service, and, and they said, you know, there's a lot of this stuff I didn't even know was in there. You know, like, I thought Nehemiah was all about rebuilding some walls, and I'm like, but that's just half of the book. Just half of the book. And why it's neglected, I can't tell you. Maybe because the second half of the book is a little more complex, it's a little bit uh, more difficult to discern exactly what's going on and what God's doing. And that's the reason we come in here is so we can talk about it. Um, I can help you walk through it, but my hope and my prayer is that you'll look at it and go, I could have done that. You know, if I'd have sat down and I would have read the rest of Nehemiah, I could have figured out what it was talking about. And my, my hope and my prayer is that when you look at God's word, you'll start to do that. That we'll challenge you to go and start looking at some places that maybe you didn't look before. That when you're doing your one-year Bible study and you run across something, you go, I bet there's something to that. I bet there's something a little deeper in there that I didn't really expect to find. I bet if I really dig a little bit, I bet I could find something pretty good in there. 
That's what we want to do here at Simple Church is to challenge you on a different level. We don't want to tell you week after week after about Jesus walking on water. And, and Peter having to be pulled up and, and because he took his eyes off Jesus. Look, it's a good story. And I love the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the whole book. That's not it. I mean, <sighs> sorry. We, it drives me crazy that, that we got some churches that, that, that we got a whole book and they're covering about 50 pages of it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I'm like. There, there's such depth and such richness in the Word of God. And, and to only like skim the surface, to, to scratch the ice off the top and go, man, and am I telling you that it's not good? It, it is good. That, 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 that surface is good, man. And, you know, but there, there, there's coffee underneath the foam too. You know what I mean? Like the, the, this deeper stuff there. And you can, you can search it and dig it out and mine it for all it's worth and it is good. And it is rich, and it will change your life. And I'm telling you that. And we don't have to just look at Luke chapter 2 all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's deeper than that, y'all. So hopefully the reason we're going through this, one of the things that you'll take away from it is that, yeah, there is some more stuff in Nehemiah, and it's really good. We studied last week, and we talked about how the, uh, the, the people of Israel, they, 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 they brought out the word, right? So that was a big deal to them. They, Ezra, go and get the word, and they read the word. And, and people, when I say the word, it was the book of the law of the Lord is what they called it. So, so go and just get it and read it to us. And hours upon hours, they would just stand in awe of the word of God, and they would just stand there. And, and then we saw last week, we saw that, that there was this confessing of sin. And the way they started that, that we saw in Nehemiah chapter 9, the way they started that was just remembering what God had done, the way that God had provided for them, that every single time their backs were against the wall, there looked like there was no way out, that, that God provided a way out, that God was there to sustain them and keep them and hold them up when they felt like they wouldn't be able to stand any longer. God was there for them over and over and over again. But the last part of Nehemiah chapter 9 says this. It said, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It's not going to be up on the screen. Just listen to it. It says, every time you punished us, you were being just. That's how it starts in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33. Go post that on your Facebook, right? I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of people going to post Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33 on their Facebook today. They're not going to tweet that verse, probably, because we don't like to think about it. But the reality is, this is us. This is not just the people of Israel because of their disobedience. This is us, and we need to acknowledge that we are not, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33 Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserve. Go put that on your Facebook. Go put that on your Facebook. At least these people acknowledged where they were, right? That's a big deal. So they started out by acknowledging where they were. It says, our kings, our leaders, our priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your warnings or, or in, in your commands and laws. Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you. Though you showered, them with, you showered your goodness on them, you gave them a large fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. Whew, I'm glad this isn't talking about us, right? God's blessed us richly and refused to turn from our wickedness. Glad that's not us. So now today, we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of the land piles up in the hands of kings who have been set over us because of our sins. God, you had to do this, and it, you were just in doing it. We, we, are, we are slaves in our own land. Since they, they have power over us and our livestock, we serve at their pleasure and 
and, and we are in great misery. Then it says, the people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. And what they're saying here is that we're, we're, we're sealing this up. We're saying, we're, we're putting this into action. We're recognizing who we are. We recognize who we are so much so that we are putting it in writing. They're literally writing their sin down on a sheet of paper, and they say, let's all sign it, because this is us. And there is a level of repentance here that I think that we don't really strive for in the church, that sometimes we miss, sometimes we've forgotten, sometimes we don't recognize where we are, and we, we had a time of just repentance when we read God's word in Nehemiah chapter 9 last week. And God moved in the hearts and lives of so many people, and I am thankful for that. But we're going to continue on. We're going to look at what else it says here in Nehemiah chapter 10 because this is a continuation. It's great that the Levites and the priests, uh, they, they all signed this and our leaders, they, they all signed the document and said, yeah, this is what we've done. We've forgotten who God was and what he has done. And when he punished us, he was just in doing so. Sign my name. But it goes further than that. In Nehemiah chapter 10, I'm going to spare you for me stumbling all, all over these uh, Hebrew names, you guys know that that happens to be a weakness of mine, so I'm going to spare you with that. So it goes on to list who the priest and the Levites and who the governor is, so we know that his name's Nehemiah. I got that name. I can pronounce that one pretty good. And the leaders, it goes and just lists who they are. These are people that signed the document, right? It, but verse 28 goes like this, because it's great when your leaders acknowledge where you are and the sins that we've committed, and they sign a document saying, this is what we've done. But it's got to go beyond that, and it's got to reach out to everybody. And that's what we see in Nehemiah chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 28. It says, then the rest of the people, everybody else, the rest of the people. So it's, it's great when your leadership acknowledges where you are and some things that you need to correct in your life, and, and they put them in writing, and that's wonderful. But the rest of the people have got to be on board with it. It says, then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, we're going to talk about that in just a second, together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who are old enough to understand, joined the leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They said, all right, you signed it now, now we're going to commit to it too. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. They joined the leaders by saying, it's one thing to acknowledge. It's one thing to acknowledge that you've done wrong. It's one thing to, to say, yeah, those guys are right. We've done something wrong, and we need to repent. We need to turn away. We need to do things right again. But this is what they said. They announced a curse in themselves. This is what they said. God, if we don't do what you have said, then destroy us. Do you pray like that? Do you make a commitment to the Lord down at the altar and say, God, if I don't do what you have put on my heart, then I want you to take me out. That's a real promise, isn't it? I think it goes a little bit deeper than, God, I just really want to do this. God, please help me do this. When you get down on your face before God and say, God, if I don't do it, then destroy me, grind me to powder. 
whatever you have to do. God, I want that kind of commitment in my life to follow you and do the things that you've called me to do. And there is a word in here that, I, you know, I was reading this passage, and there, there's one word in here that absolutely jumped out of the page at me. I didn't even have to highlight it. I don't necessarily write in my Bible, because, and you can criticize me for that. I just don't. There are things that, that God points out to me, and if I highlight something today, that'll probably just distract from me from what he's going to highlight the next time I read it, so I don't really do that, and it's okay if you do. Scribble in your Bible, get you a highlighter, rip a page out, you know, whatever you got to do, and, and, and put it in your shirt so that you'll remember it tomorrow. Whatever you got to do, I'm okay with that, as long as you'll read the Word. That's all I care about. You ask me which version you read, I don't care about that either. We happen to do the NLT in here because it's a little bit easier to read. And God pointed me that direction. That's why I read the NLT. Here, there is one word that jumped out of the page at me and it slapped me in the face. It absolutely rocked my world when I saw this little bitty three-letter word. I'm, I'm gonna, let's see if I can tell you what verse it's in right here. It's, it's actually in uh, verse 29. It's actually in verse 29, and it's toward the end. There's a three-letter word in there. A-L-L. All. It's, it's not S-O-M-E. It's A-L-L. Now, God could have put a different word in there, but he chose all. He chose all. Now, here's the thing that, 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 that happens in church a lot, okay? I'm, I'm going to give you a little uh, commentary about church once again. I know that, that, that we do that a lot in here, but this is what happens. We try to pick out certain sins and say, oh, that's really bad. Look at your sin right there. You need to repent and you need to turn towards God because look at what you have done. Look how terrible that sin is. And the whole time, and the whole time, we're saying that about somebody. We, we, we've got bitterness and malice towards them. We've got a judgmental heart. We've got a, something that we need to correct on our own. Because you know when Jesus talks about things like bitterness and malice and, and, and talking behind somebody's back, that that's in his word too, right? It's, it's not just about homosexual relationships and stuff like that. That's, that's not everything that's in there. There's some other stuff in here too. And basically all the things that are in your heart that are against God, yeah, all those things are in there too. So when you deal with sin, you can't just deal with a few of them. You got to deal with A-L-L of them, right? You can't just say, man, those are really bad. Those are really, really bad. You need to deal with that. No, we need to look at our own lives and say, man, I got some really, really bad stuff in my life too. Man, we're so quick to want to forgive people that are in, in prison and they've repented their sin because they've murdered somebody, they've raped somebody, and we want to just say, yeah, man, I... I love you, and you've, you've surrendered your life to Christ, and, and you're forgiven. But man, it's, it's a lot harder for us to look at some of those little bitty sins in our life, some of the bitterness, the malice, some of the things that just aren't exactly right, and go, you know what? Those things are against God, too. Just like that person repented of that murder, of that rape. I, too, got some stuff in my life that doesn't belong there, because God says I'm supposed to obey A-L-L of them. All of them. And I believe that's the reason that verse jumped out at me. So let's go on just to read just a little bit more, and then we'll come back to the fact that they had separated themselves. So 
Right here in verse 30, it says this. So uh, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. What's that all about? Um, We had a a series that we did a while back on Wednesday nights, and it was called Yoked, and it was about being unequally yoked. And how you're, this this is worthy of repeating. If you want to tweet this, you can. But um, you're not supposed to marry somebody that's not a Christian. Everybody know that? We covered that. Jesus calls it being unequally, being, uh, being unequally yoked, and we're not supposed to do that. You know why? Because it will weaken your faith, and you shouldn't do that. You're supposed to be stronger together as husband and wife for Christ than you are apart. And if you marry somebody that's not a Christ follower, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to drag you away from Christ and not bring you closer to him. Okay? Like, if you're wondering about that, that's the answer to that. That's why you're not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to marry a Christian. Well, people have a lot of issues with this when they read it in the Old Testament. The fact that Jewish people, they married Jewish people, and they didn't really go outside of that. And it's the same concept of being unequally yoked. Do you know why they did that? Why God gave them that instruction? And it's the same thing of being unequally yoked. Do you know why? It's because of this. It's because if they were to marry outside of of their faith, then it would have polluted their religion. It would have polluted uh, the the commands that God had given them, and and God wanted them to remain pure. He wanted them to remain committed to the word that he had given them. And if they go outside and marry a bunch of pagans, they're going to bring in their own practices, their own religions, try to mix them in with the one true God that the Jewish people were uh, worshiping, and it would have destroyed what God was doing in their life. And everybody looks at the Jewish people in these days and go, like, why would God tell them to do that? He tells us the same thing today. He just does it in a little bit different way. And he says, don't be unequally yoked with somebody that's not a, not a Christian. Same thing. He doesn't want the, 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 the purity of the faith to be tainted by something coming in from the outside. Complicated, right? No, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It makes a heck of a lot of sense if you look at it. The people had separated themselves, and there they're making a commitment. We're not going to marry people outside of our faith because it's, we know what it's going to do. It's going to tear us down. It's going to drag us away from God. You see, if you think about where the people are, they're coming back from being exiled because of their sin against God. They've been worshiping other gods. They've been foolish in their ways. They're not giving God credit for why they've been a blessed people. And, and God said, okay, I'm going to let your enemies come in and take you into captivity, and then maybe you'll come back to me. That's always God's plan and his desires that people will come back to him. So he allows things to happen in in their lives. And that's exactly what happened here. All right. So we covered one of them. This fact that they're not supposed to marry outside of their faith. And it says, we also promise that if people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest and we will cancel all debts owed to us. So this is called the year of Jubilee, and one of the things that they were supposed to do is they're supposed to not plant any crops or harvest any crops on this, this, this seventh year and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, and I don't really want to go into a bunch of detail about this besides to say that these people recognized that there were some things they weren't doing. And in particular, they, went, they weren't keeping the Sabbath holy, which is what God had, had encouraged them to do. Now, what happened? What ended up happening? By the time Jesus came around, they'd taken this idea of keeping the Sabbath holy to some unrealistic thing where they're not even supposed to to really carry anything in their hands on the Sabbath. They're not really supposed to do any kind of work at all, you know, because they're not supposed to, like, walk down the street and stuff like that, and they just took it to a ridiculous level. 
But God had created the Sabbath because he knew man needed rest and he knew that man needed time to just be with God. And, and, and here these people will recognize we need to get back to that. We need to get back to the Sabbath rest is what they're saying here. We need to get back to some of the original things that God had put in place because it was good for us. It was good for us. Here at Simple Church, there are going to be some things, and I, I promise you this morning, I was praying, God, reveal to me some, some, some things in Simple Church that aren't exactly right. The, the heartbeat of Simple Church, is there anything that's out of alignment with the heartbeat of God? God, reveal it to me, and I will confess it from the pulpit. I will, I will tell everybody. I will, I will put it out there for everybody to know. If there's something that we need to correct, if there's something that we need to do that's not exactly right, God, show me what that is. And really, you know, it was, it was kind of strange. I told you, like, after the first song that, that God had impressed upon my heart that I think we'd gotten away from our joy a little bit. I, it's, it's, and I expected something very complex and very complicated, you know, that we're, we're not doing this or we're not doing that exactly right. And God just said, be happy. And I went, oh, crap, I forgot that, you know. Be happy, you know. That's a pretty good one. I should have thought of that, and maybe it's just something with, with my own life and where I had been and, and some struggles I got going on or something, but, but I think I had forgotten that I can just enjoy coming in here and, and just being in the presence of other believers, and it, listen, it's not like I was depressed when I came in here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's, there's a level of joy that I know that, that exists within me when I recognize who God is, and I just forget it sometimes. I just forget it sometimes, and we, we all do this, and you know how I know, is because when that first song is played, it's kind of like, ha, 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 Sunday morning, we're going to do it again, we're going to sing the song, God is good, he's so good, he's so good to me, right? And you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, we forget just how good he is. We forget that. And I think we had forgotten it a little bit. And maybe I'm part, partly responsible for that. I don't know. But I think we'd forgotten. God just said one word, one three-letter word to me. and said, you need to correct something? How about joy? How about that one? And admittedly, look, I, I, I'm so committed to the word. I, I, look, I try to, I'm like this with the word. Y'all know that, right? Like I'm trying to just pound it. And like up here, just trying to, to push it out as hard as I can. And sometimes I forget, man, that sometimes we just need to rejoice in God's word. And, and, and yes, there's some things that we need to correct in our life. But God does those things because he loves us and he cares about us. And because he is a great and merciful God and he wants us to be close to him. That's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to rejoice. So here they are. They're just saying something else we need to do. Uh-oh, then they start talking about uh, money, and everybody's like, oh, great, so Kenny's going to get on us about tithing. Just hang tight. We'll talk about that. All right. Verse 32 says this, in addition, we promise to obey, obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. This will, be, this will provide the, for the bread of the presence. For the regular grain offerings, the burnt offerings, for the, uh, for the offerings on the Sabbath, the new moon celebrations, the annual festivals, for the holy offerings, and for the uh, sin offering to make atonement for Israel. 
It will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times each year, the families of the priests and Levites and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God as written in the law. Now, I, I, I want to I kind of tell you something here and back up just a little bit and talk about uh, the money that was necessary to continue the work in the temple, right? So these people recognized that there was some things that they were neglecting in God's word, and it had to do with the temple. The temple had been torn down. Remember, it got rebuilt, and you can read about that in Ezra. You should go do that. You should go read Ezra. Read Nehemiah, read Ezra together, and, and understand how God was kind of rebuilding his people. And, and here we see that the, 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 there's a requirement there to be, be able to bring in some silver so that the work of the temple could continue. And everybody's like, well, Kenny's going to talk to us about tithing right now. No, I'm going to talk to you about working on the temple, the things that are necessary to keep the temple in working order. Now, back in those days, the temple was the place where they came to offer sacrifices, and the priests would go in, and it represented the very presence of God amongst his people. Where is that temple now? It is not a building. It is not this church building, okay? This happens to be a building where we worship God, but there is a temple of God that is inside this building, and that temple is you. You are the dwelling place of God now. You are the temple of God. So there's some things you need to do in order to keep that temple in working order. See, it's not really about money so much now, is it? It's not really so much uh, about, about uh, paying some money. I wish, look, I wish that I could keep this temple in working order by putting some money in that bucket. That would be a lot easier than the stuff that God challenges me with. That would be a heck of a lot easier. I say, okay, I put 10 bucks in the, in the bucket and, and I can keep the temple in working order. I'm in. Let me get my checkbook. I'm in. Let me write that check. This temple is kind of broken down a lot of times. So I can write a check for it. Do y'all take Visa? I, can I pay with a Visa, a debit card? Maybe get my American Express points. Is there something I can do that? There's some things that we have to do to keep the temple in working order. And it's sacrificial in nature. It's sacrificial in nature. You see, there's a lot of talk about the sacrifices that are being made, right, at the temple. There's some things that we have to sacrifice in our life, too, right? To keep the temple in working order, we got to make some sacrifices, too. And what are those sacrifices? Some things that don't belong there. Some things that don't belong in the temple. We need, we need to take them before God and say, God, I'm going to let this die. It doesn't belong here in this temple, so I need to just let it die. Now, I'm going to put, put it on, on your altar. Let it be consumed by fire, and you take it away. You take it away, because there's some things in here, in, inside this temple, that don't belong. It ain't as easy as writing a check, y'all. It just ain't that easy. It requires work. To, to be honest with yourself, to really evaluate yourself, to look introspectively, that's one of those big words we like to use, to look inside, is really kind of hard because we'd much rather look outside and look at other people and point out their sins as opposed to pointing out our own. But what God says is, you know, examine yourself, not examine everybody else. He says, examine yourself. And we got to keep our temples in working order. We, we, we got we to make some sacrificial changes in our life in order to be able to keep our temples in working order. I don't want us to neglect that. 
I don't want us to forget about that. I don't want us to be a people that say, we're good where we are. We've done everything that we need to do. And man, let's just keep on rocking and rolling. No, I want us to be a people that continue to make sacrifices. Continue to bring things before God and say, God, this doesn't belong here. I want to let it die at your altar. And that's the way you keep the temple in working order. That's what we have to do, folks. And these people, they had forgotten it. And they said, well, look, we're, we're, we're living in a place that we're in, and kings have rule over us, and we're slaves in our own land because of the things we've done. We've got to get back to the way that we used to do things. I don't want us to ever have to go into exile and us for us to have an awakening in our hearts for us to come back so that we'll be close to God again. I want us to be a people that continue to make sacrifices at the temple so that we're continuing to remember who God is and what he's provided so that we keep our temple in working order. And we got to remember. And we got to look inside. And we got to deal with some stuff. It says, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. Whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all the herds and the flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of, God, of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces. For it, for it, is, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our, our rural towns. So this is what we, they, they say here. It says we're going to bring our offerings to the temple. You know why? Because it belongs to God. The, 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 the firstborn of, of, of our family, we, we, we offer the firstborn of our family to God. So God, you bless, you take care. This is, this is us recognizing that you come first. This is a little bit more about money for us, okay? But this is not just about money for us, okay? This is recognizing that God comes first, this is and then notice it says the stuff that we plant in the ground and the stuff that is hanging on the fruit trees. It doesn't matter if it's something that, that, is, that is obvious and it, it, and it, or if it's something that is hidden. It all belongs to you. The God, we recognize that you're the one that provided everything for us. And because of that, we're going to give you a part of it. Now, does this apply to us financially? Yes, it does. Is the, the command of a tithe a New Testament principle? No, it is not. Did you know that? The given a tenth is not a New Testament principle. Now, some pastors would like to shoot me with a sniper rifle for saying that. It's not in there. It's really not. Do you know what the New Testament principle is? Now, this, you kind of say, whew, that makes it easier, right? So I don't have to give a tenth. Do you know what the New Testament, New Testament principle is for giving? To give everything. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, when the church started coming together, they just gave everything to the church to say, all right, divide it with who needs it. That's what they did. That's what they did. Now, am I telling you to give everything to the church? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. Am I telling you that the, 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 the idea of giving a tenth 
is not a New Testament principle? Yes, I'm exactly saying that. But let me ask you this question. Would God encourage you to give a tenth of what you have to the church? Is that the direction God would lead you? I'm not going to answer that question. You have to answer that question. You have to answer that question. But here, these people acknowledged that the best fruits, the best grains, the best flour, the firstborn of the flock, it all goes to God. The best belongs to God. So here I'm going to challenge you with getting away from the idea of, of the best belonging to God when it comes to dressing up on Sundays, okay? I want to bring my best to God. Okay, great, do that. I want to dress up on Sunday. I would say that's just the tip of the iceberg. If that's really your big thing, you really want to dress up on Sunday, you feel better about dressing up on Sunday, dress up on Sunday. I don't care. The reason I don't dress up on Sundays is because there's people that come in here that don't feel like they fit in if we do. That's the reason I don't dress up on Sundays. Okay? But what I would rather do is be a people that bring the best to God. It ain't got nothing to do with what you wear. Okay? If you really want to dress up on Sunday, here's how you do it. You get up at 5 a.m. and get on your face before God and you pray. And you repent of your sin and you draw close to God and ask His Holy Spirit to reveal to you some things that you need to correct in your life, some things that you need to sacrifice in your life to Him. Then you can bring your best to God. And you can wear whatever you want to wear to church. I don't give a rip about that. These people recognized it was important to bring the best to God. Y'all, I want us to be people that do that. I want us to be people that, 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 that put our time and our efforts, not just getting on your face at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning to pray. I'm talking about what you invest your time in. I want it to be towards the things of God. I, I put God first in my life, so that's where I, I, I invest first in this, whether it be God's Word or His praying or service to God. That's, that's where I spend the majority of my time. That's where my focus is. Because He's most important in my life. He rules and reigns in my life, and He's provided everything, so the best of me goes to Him. Makes sense, doesn't it? And we... We've been taught all our lives that we just write a check. It didn't work like that, man. That would be easy. That would be easy. God just says, the command is for you to give me your best. You to give me your best. Says a priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive the tithe, these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of God and placed in the state rooms. And the people and the Levites must bring these offers of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the uh, ministering priests and the gatekeepers and the singers. We promise together not to, con to neglect the temple of our God. Why? Why? These people had had an awakening of their soul. They had recognized because God had allowed them to go into exile, allowed the enemy to come in and take them away from the land that they loved, the people that they loved, from the security that they had, he had allowed them to be taken away from that. 
Because they had forgotten who he was, and they'd forgotten the fact that he was the reason they had what they had. That they, had, they thought it had to do with them, but it was really all about God, and they would gotten away from that. And the people are making this oath, they're making this commitment to God not to let that happen again. That's what they're doing. There's a fancy word in the Bible, it's called repentance. And what that means is, we're not going to make the same mistake twice. We're going to learn from this mistake, and we're not going to do it again. And we're committing ourselves to it. The best belongs to God. We're not going to neglect the temple again. We're going to continue to make sure the temple is in working order. We're going to do whatever it takes so that we don't find ourselves in the same place again. Now, why were they saying that? Well, if you remember in Nehemiah, in, in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, what we saw is that the people had forgotten some things. And they had to be reminded of the provision of God over and over and over again because they would get close to God. And then they would start to become selfish again and they'd get away from God. And then they, the God would allow things to come into their life so they would come back to God again. And what were they saying here? I believe that they were saying is we don't want to make that mistake again. We don't want to be close to God for just a little while. This is a reference to the temple again. They keep talking about the temple. We don't want to be just close to God for a little while. We want the temple to be in working order. We want, we want to be close to God all the time. And God, you do whatever it takes to make sure that happens. Because we're making a real commitment to you. A genuine commitment to be close to you. And we don't want to get away from you again. So what does that say about our lives? Right? What does that say to us? Sometimes we make commitments that are half-hearted, don't we? It's not necessarily that it's intentional. We just, we aren't focused on keeping the temple in working order, and we make a commitment, and then we wonder why we fall away from it. We, we, we say some words to God, but we're not willing to make the changes in our life to, to draw us back close to God and, and keep us in that place where we're reminded of, of the things God has shown us. I don't want you to take this as, as, as God trying to hurt you with this word. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to keep you close to him. He's trying to put you in his arms and, and keep you close to him. He doesn't give you a bunch of rules so that he'll see that you, you just want to follow along with what he says. He gives you a bunch of rules because he says, that's how you'll stay close to me. That's how you'll avoid some of the pitfalls and, and all the destruction that can come in your life if you get away from me. If you'll just stay close to me, listen to what I say, have faith in me and trust in me and let me love you and be your God. He said, if you get away from me, what I'll have to do is do everything I can to allow something to come into your life so that you'll come back and be close to me again. Because what matters the most, what matters the most it's not necessarily your position of your physical location and your security and whether you feel good about where you are. What matters most is how close you are to me. How close you are to me is what matters most. And that's a loving God. That's the picture of a loving God. So much so that he sent his son to die for us. And we celebrate, we talk about having joy in this place. The reason we have joy, the reason we have any chance at joy is because of hope. And that hope exists because God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. 
to pay the penalty that we all deserve to pay? To take the wrath of God that we all deserve? And he said, you know what? I just want them to be close to me. So he built a bridge through Jesus Christ and said, whatever it takes for them to be close to me. How's your temple? Is it in working order? Or do you spend more time looking at everybody else's temple and pointing out how, how bad, out of shape their temple is? You got some bitterness? You got, you got some, some slander that you're talking about somebody's back, behind their back? Or you got some people that they really need to be loved, but you're not loving them like they deserve to be loved? I'm not talking about deserve to be loved in the eyes of you. I'm talking about deserve to be loved in the eyes of God. Is your temple in working order? How, how, how's it, how about the time that you spend? What you're investing in? Is it is the first and the most important stuff? Is it going towards God? Or does God just kind of get shifted to the back burner? And whatever's left over, he gets that. Which one of these things has God shown you and convicted you of? Will you allow God to work on your temple? Will you come and, and offer sacrifices to him and say, God, remove this from my temple so that I might be able to be closer to you. I feel like I'm, I'm away from you, God, and I don't know why. God, reveal to them. Reveal to them these things that are separating them from you. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this precious word, God, and how it continues to open our eyes and remind us just of your amazing love for us. It doesn't always look like love in the context of this world, but in your context, it looks like love. Because even sometimes when we feel bad, God, it's because you're drawing us to you. We recognize that the guilty, it's not a feeling, it's a condition. And God, sometimes we feel guilty because we are guilty. So Lord, I just pray that you work on people's hearts right now and show them the area that their temple is not where it needs to be. It's not in the working order that it needs to be in. And, and, and God, there may be one step away from you letting something come into their lives so that they'll be drawn back to you. God, there, we've, we've all got things that we need to work on. And I pray that we be sacrificially giving th those things to you every single day, not just on Sundays, but every single day, God, you would continue to show us the things that we need to sacrifice in our lives. God, but there is something special about today. See, we, we know that we, we, we celebrate on Sunday, the very first day of the week, because of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may this sacrificing that happens at this altar, may be a time of rejoicing, because we recognize that you make us new. And God, once we die to ourselves, you make us new. So, Lord, I pray that people would come to this altar Lord, not for the purpose of this altar being filled up, but for the purpose of God us being close to you. What matters, what matters, God, above everything else is how close we are to you. We want real joy and real contentment in our life, and Lord, that only comes through being close to you. Help us to do the hard things, Lord, that it takes to get there. We want to make a commitment to you that's real, not one that's superficial and just on the surface. We want to make one that's, that, that, that is real in our lives. One where we say, God, no matter what it takes, no matter what you have to do in my life, I pray that this would happen. So, Lord, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, 
pray that you convict our hearts and you would draw us to you. The lover of our soul, the savior, savior of our soul, the redeemer of our soul, I pray that we worship you right now through our coming and offering sacrifices to you. This is your time. Be exalted in this place. Receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?